0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Angelica Houston is a remarkable actress who has lived a remarkable life. She has an Oscar for her emotionally complex and very funny performance in Pritzi's honor as the black sheep mob daughter, May Rose Preetsey
1: on and Maya. i got a reputation to live up to. i the family scandal. Everybody would be disappointed if I stopped.
0: Her pitch perfect Morticia in The Addams Family will be loved for generations.
1: Oh, I'll be fine. I'm just like any modern woman trying to have it all. A loving husband, a family. It's just I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade.
0: But to fully understand the context of our conversation today, you'll also need a line from a movie Houston had nothing to do with. Annie Hall. We're going to meet Jack and Angelica and have a drink there, and if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. and We can just sit and talk. Nothing. That was Paul Simon ad-libbing to Diane Keaton in 1976, trying to conjure the most unpretentious but exclusive party in all the world. Jack and Angelica will be there, no last names needed. Jack is Jack Nicholson, of course, Houston's boyfriend, for almost 20 years, starting in the early 70s. And for all that time, nobody embodied the nonchalant glamour of the Hollywood new wave more than they did. Angelica Houston is the daughter of prima ballerina Enrica Soma and John Houston, one of the greatest filmmakers who's ever lived the director of the Maltese Falcon, the treasure of the Sierra Madre, the African Queen, and Preetsey's honor for which his daughter won that Oscar. Angelica didn't spend a lot of time on set with her dad growing up, but she does remember being with him in the studio's smoky, dark wood offices in the final days of a Hollywood inhabited by the fast-talking, sharply-dressed producers and agents of the golden age
1: they were the remnants of the old school. They were serious. There was a, a definite regard for the auteur. The agents worked for the auteurs. And these guys commanded respect, even Irving Lazar, who who was the book agent, who was commonly known as Swifty and, Swifty and Lazar. was about four feet tall and, yeah. and the glasses. looked like a gnome. Yeah. But there was there was a kind of grandeur to it um i remember being around them and they they were affectionate towards me i was i was my dad's daughter so mm-hmm. i was i was sort of tolerated
0: mm-hmm. Well, maybe more than tolerated.
1: Well, no, tolerated. Yeah,
0: tolerated. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did the one film with your dad first, which was what year was that?
1: Um, that was called A Walk with Love and Death, and that was in 1968. I was 16 years old. I knew nothing except that I wanted to be a movie actress. and Why? movie actresses were beautiful they
0: and they got the attention of the men in Hollywood (laughs)
1: well even before the men in Hollywood you know because I didn't grow up in Hollywood I grew up in Ireland I know I know and I went to school in England and um, I had a really fantastic mother who who showed me not just movies, but showed me theater and took me to plays and operas. And where was she from? She was Italian, but she was raised in New York, and she'd been a a Balanchine dancer, and um, she had a very eccentric, wonderful father. What did he do, do? He was a restaurateur called Tony Soma and he used to stand on his head and sing opera for his clientele. Uh, What was the restaurant? It was called Tony's Wife.
0: What part of town? 57th Street. Right, the 50s. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the Rockefellers went there, and people loved him a lot. He was like no one I've ever met. He was an eccentric, but wonderful. Uh, But my mother took me everywhere. I saw not only... Maria Callas singing Tosca, but I also saw I Tina Turner when I was <laughs> like 15 years you old saw it all. at the Revolution. Yeah, I saw it all. I saw Sir John Gielgud. I saw Dame Margaret Rutherford. I saw Laurence Olivier. I Your saw parents... Danny LaRue. I saw the best that England had to offer. Um, Your parents and, met where? They met in Los Angeles many years before. And she'd Ma- come
0: out here for what?
1: To work. She'd been offered a contract by because She was very beautiful and her face was on the cover of Life magazine as a, as a young ballerina. She roomed with Audrey Hepburn. She was part of that whole movement of young women, very beautiful, who are being groomed for stardom. Right. Um, and then she met my father. She'd actually met him at Tony's restaurant. My grandfather always insisted she write an essay if she was allowed to go to the theater or to see a ballet. So um, some years before, my father was about to go off to war, and he'd promised her that um, he would take her to the ballet, and she wouldn't have to write an essay about it. Um, but then he'd he'd reneged on his promise because he was sent off to war. So at least that's how your father story went, went to the war. He did. He was a director already, right. and um, he they sent him there to film. That's right. He did several movies. Um, he did Let There Be Light and the Battle of San Pietro, seminal documentaries for that time. He had a bit of a fight with the War Department later on because they considered them. A a bit too graphic, a bit too honest, shall Mm. we say.
0: And when he came back from the war, um, because what I'm trying to track here is uh, Ireland, England, L.A., why did you grow up in Ireland? Was that his idea? He wanted you guys to live over there?
1: Well, he was part of the committee for the First Amendment. McCarthy was, was hard at it, beating all the writers out of Hollywood. My father and Humphrey Bogart... Gary Cooper, Lauren Bacall, a bunch of them formed a committee for the First Amendment, which was basically that, you know, you could stand on your on your rights as an individual, as a citizen, and not have to answer questions from the committee. And I think the whole thing left dad with a really bad taste in his mouth. He was making a movie called African Queen when I was born. And then afterwards, when— Where did your mother deliver you? Cedars of Lebanon. In Santa Monica.
0: Where do they shoot? In Africa?
1: Yes, in the Belgian Congo.
0: Uh, Hepburn and Bogart and your father went to the Belgian Congo. And this is back in the day when women would deliver babies and the father was on the road. That's right. Your dad was making African Queen when you were delivered?
1: Yes, he was. And Bacall was making meals, you know, I think cooking up bugs for dinner and stuff. Um when he returned, he then went practically immediately into Moulin Rouge in Paris. And my mother was sort of chasing him across the continent and left me behind. I was like three months old and Finally came back and collected my brother and I and brought us to France where we lived in Deauville for a while and Saint Jean de Luz. Why? to be nearer to him. Like a
0: base for you, a European base. Exactly. But when you say she was chasing him around, was he, I mean, l- listen, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i get this out of the way up front, okay? I want to, he was such a, a great director. He's one of the greatest directors that ever lived. Was John Huston incorporated a tough thing to keep God, those fires going? Did he always have to be shooting and going and working? He was on,
1: yeah, he was on the march, my father. Yeah. He, he, he was working on the next picture while shooting the last he picture. Did, he
0: loved to you.
1: He loved to shoot and he loved locations and he loved um, hotels, ch- Hotels, <laughs> challenges, women, <Right. laughs> um, cigars. consequent cigars, a certain amount of liquor. Yeah. He liked the chase. Uh, he was a sportsman, a daredevil, and I think extremely enticing to women in general. So I think my mother was attempting to keep up, which of course was
0: hopeless. It was hard to tame him.
1: Yes, indeed, I think. But she tried. Uh, Well, I don't know that she tried to tame him, but I think she tried to keep up
0: with him. To keep up with him. Your parents get divorced when you're how old?
1: My mother died when I was 16 years old in a car crash, and um, they hadn't divorced. Where
0: did this happen, the accident?
1: Um, She was killed traveling to Venice. Where were you? I was in London
0: at school. What was she like? What was your mom like?
1: Um, my mother was incredibly beautiful. She was very sensitive. She had an Italian background, even though she was a New York Italian. Um, she she was a good girl. Um, she pleased her father. She wrote him long letters when she was on the road in the ballet. Um, she was still in the corps de ballet, Um when she was in her teens, and almost until she married my father. She'd come to Los Angeles just in the previous couple of years, and she'd gotten immediately pregnant with my brother. She had incredible taste. I don't know where she got it from, but she knew about things. It's an she, instinct
0: some people have. Yeah, yeah.
1: She was a great decorator. She was... A wonderful hostess, but she was earthy as well as just beautiful and erudite. She had a full laugh, and she had great wit. And I think it was hard for her because, in a way, you know, she wasn't like those beautiful adjuncts to the gentleman. She was very specifically herself.
0: When your mom dies and you're 16, which is a very... Uh, a significant age. What happens to you in terms of your mom, I'm assuming, was around more?
1: Yeah, and I was living with my mother. I may have been 17, actually, going to school in London. I'd done this movie with my dad where we were a very, very bad relationship point during that movie. I'd said all my life, I want to be an actress, I want to be an actress, and finally he'd he'd launched me. This was... You know, a huge thing that he'd done for me, I think, against everyone's better judgment. And to tell you the truth, I never liked the part. I never liked the film. I didn't really have any regard for it. And who was I? To feel that way, and who was I not to be grateful? So, this was a really bad moment between my father and I. And it was after I came back from making that movie, um, barely speaking to him, which is not a good relationship (laughs) for a a director, actress. I've
0: been there, believe me.
1: It's an ugly thing. But anyway, I. I then took a job um, understudying Marianne Faithful in Tony Richardson's Hamlet, which – In London. Yeah, at the Roundhouse. Nicole Williamson was playing Hamlet. I rather enjoyed that because um, Marianne was in Delicate Health and uh, she often – didn't go on, so I had I had some good opportunities to go on, and Shakespeare is like a protective shield. He's like a hazmat suit. You can't be bad. I don't think uh, with with lines. You have more like of a that. chance
0: with Shakespeare. A lot, did, a yeah.
1: lot better, you know. And I remember lines in A Walk with Love and Death, like "Go shoot a cow," and I I reacted so badly to the script. It Wasn't right. I, I was barely able to do it, you know. But now having been given a little bit of a chance to go on and flex my muscles, um, I was really liking, you know, treading the boards. It was at that time that my mother died.
0: You were doing that show.
1: I was doing that show. And and when she died, the show was on its way to New York. And I, I grabbed a seat on board and went to New York. And I don't even remember my father's having an objection. I think he was so sort of bewildered by by my um, powers of escape. And by the time he caught up with me in New York, I was already modeling. I, I'd started a career for myself, and I was pretty determined to lead life my way.
0: New York was never home for you?
1: No. um, I stayed initially with my best friend at the time, who I'd met when I was like seven and she was 10. Um, Her name is Joan Buck. She was the daughter of my father's producer on those war movies um, and cameraman, Jules Buck. And I stayed with Joan, and she was working for Mademoiselle at the time. So I met a lot of people through her. Um, I met very good photographers like Guy Boudin and Helmut Newton and David Bailey, who I'd actually met in in London, and Dick Avedon, who I'd met in London, who was a friend of my mother's. And so um, I started to model. Um, At first, it was kind of difficult because I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I knew what I wanted to do. But... um, it wasn't a natural fit. I remember going into Eileen Ford and she said, well, obviously you need a nose job. And then she asked to look at my legs and it was it was not that comfortable. But it was I- was
0: like the county fair. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: We're, we're, we're herding cattle here.
1: Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, I had a few um, champions, Dick Avedon being one of them. And, and we did a really nice layout in Vogue, like a lot of pages in Ireland. And so I kind of gained a reputation as a, an editorial model, not an advertising model. So it was considered very grand to be an editorial model, except that one didn't make money. Mm-hmm. You know, for editorial, you made a few hundred dollars yeah. a day. It as was opposed, art. Yes, as opposed to the girls who were out there for Clairol sure. or whatever. And I was never going to be a Clairol girl. So um, after about— Four years where I was in a relationship with a much older photographer called Bob Richardson, and he was great to work for. A lot less nice to live with, but—
0: <laughs> it's great but, until you went home. That's
1: right, yeah.
0: You met him where?
1: Uh, shoot for Harper's Bazaar.
0: He was the photographer. He was the
1: photographer. Editorial.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were how old?
1: I was Your early 20s? You were
0: 18. Yeah. And he was how old? 42. Okay.
1: But he he was an artist and he was a magician. He'd look at you through the lens and then he'd just take the camera down and place it in his lap for a minute and stare at you and you felt like you could really provide the goods. Sometimes after we worked together, I'd be trembling. I'd be shaking um, from the impact. Um, There's something about working with people who are very, very good. It's the biggest turn on in the world. Sure.
0: Talent is the greatest aphrodisiac.
1: It is. And I'd have to say that you know our relationship was very much guided by that was that was central to our relationship. I don't really want to remember how we were um as a man and a woman. I much prefer to remember as 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 photographer and model. Colleagues. Yes, yeah. as colleagues and and as to people who went after something.
0: Is there a period where that ends New York?
1: Well, my father, of course, was horrified by the fact that I was going out with a 42-year-old man, and not just any 42-year-old man. Bob had a history of of drugs and... um,
0: Was your father anti-drug? Oh, seriously, (laughs) yes.
1: (laughs) Extremely, extremely anti-drug. And I don't think any father is all that much in love with the idea of his 17-year-old girl getting involved with a drug addict. But the fact about Bob was that he was um, one of of a group of rather important and interesting and famous people who went to see a, a doctor called Dr. Max Jacobson. He had people like Margot Fontaine and Jack Kennedy and Truman Capote, Tennessee Williams, a lot of very interesting people. Sure. And um, he gave them a combination of, of drugs, some I think very pleasant and mind expanding. And then he'd hit them with something not quite so good. He was manipulative. Mm. And there was a... An article written about Bob Richardson in the New York Times. It talked about his experience with Dr. Max Jacobson. And my father read this article and, as a consequence, thought, ah, well, maybe this is not a common street junkie who right. my daughter's chosen right. to be with, but someone of deeper interest. So he invited Bob and I to go on a trip to Mexico. It was an ill fated excursion in that. Um, Straight out, I got the worst sunburn in my entire life. They fought about you know what I wanted to drink. They fought about you know where we should eat. They fought about a lot of things at the end of the that trip. My father went on an excursion solo to La Paz to find me a black pearl and came back empty handed except for a pair of straw hats despondent.
0: Um, if I remember correctly from the book, this was the period of lots of jewels and furs.
1: Yes, here. yes.
0: With furs and jewels. Absolutely. Just a cascade of them. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then we were leaving to go back to Los Angeles and Bob and I had an epic fight and um, we parted at Los Angeles airport and I'd separated our, our clothes from our bags the night before and down to the last minute I wasn't sure if I could actually
0: Had the make to the do cut, it.
1: yeah, right. but I did and I didn't look back. I went to live with my dad for the next... Mm, four or five months. Where? Uh, in the Palisades. Is he
0: in L.A. as a function purely of the business? And this is where the where movies are made? Yeah. Or, or did he love Southern California? No,
1: actually no. loathed it. Loathed it. <laughs> I had a Didn't feeling. did like it. Had, had um, you know, a certain sort of despisal for it. They couldn't decide on a on a particular style of house and how, yeah. you know, Tudor was followed by Regency was followed by right. Georgian. Aesthetically, it didn't please him. He felt <laughs> that it was all too safe, um, a predictable bourgeois. Um, no.
0: Mamet had a great line. There's no place on earth where the homes are more finely appointed than in. Bel Air, and and the artwork, and the tapestries. He said these moguls who control these media companies, they have the most elegant taste. And he wondered, what happened to that taste from when they left their driveway and drove (laughs) through the gates of the studio? Where did that taste go?
1: (laughs) Well, sometimes Mm. they took it to their offices. Some did. And then others, not so much. But this is home for you. Yes. And it has been for a long time. And uh, something about it, said home to me when I began to live here. The Palisades was very beautiful. It was sort of semi-rural. My father had just gotten remarried to a woman called Cece Shane. Um, I could ride horses with Cece up in Will Rogers. I really liked Will Rogers a a lot. Um, Something about being in a city that wasn't concrete – being a place where you could go out to restaurants and shops. And and LA was great in the day. I mean, it was fun. There was the luau, there were there were about seven great restaurants. Uh Scandia. There yeah. were some really wonderful places to go and be. And I think in the day it it was a very fun place to be. When live. did you
0: sense it started to change?
1: Ah, the 80s probably. Just get too built up. It got too built up and Rodeo Drive became very glitzy. Up until that point, there was a kind of uh, comfort to the place and and I longed for beautiful weather and brown skin. I mean that was the thing that you really wished for in school when I was –
0: growing up. And Nicholson, of all people, I said to him, I said, you could have any home anywhere and you live here. And he said, and he was, I can't do my bad, Jack. But he, he was like, he said, yeah, he said, this is my town.
1: Oh, he loves this it. This is
0: my town, yeah. he said. He just loves
1: it. He loves it. He, he doesn't have to leave home. He's completely happy. has his pictures. He's got his books, his teeth, <laughs> His and basketball game. His Lakers. <laughs> oh, I was so sad about Kobe. Yes, that's I, I was a sad for Jack about Kobe as right. I was for Kobe, right. frankly. The Lakers are p- almost part of Jack, like an extra limb. <laughs> right. but, but yes, it was truly his town and I fell in love with it as I fell in love with Jack. Um, there was a kind of freedom. You could be completely um, under the radar here. New York, every time you go outside, people see you, people recognize you. For some reason, I was recognizable quite early, and I never really liked it, you know, unless I was ready for it. I'm fine if I put on the dog and go out, but I'm not fine if I'm taken unawares. And something about um, feeling exposed, like you did on the streets of New York, it it, it still takes me by surprise. And There's a look people give you in the street sometimes, I'm sure you know it, which is like, it's a look of appreciation and it's almost a wink and they don't want to bother you but yeah. still you feel they like you. they know me they know they me too much you. they signal yeah. you but especially changes. when you think you look shitty
0: but <laughs> <laughs> everyone's got a camera in their pocket 24 hours a day and they take pictures of you eating and they take pictures of me with my children yeah. and they make your life miserable miserable
1: it's a very different thing for me having been a model I loved having my picture taken I, I really did yeah. I when you
0: were signed on to yeah, it.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's a form of addiction and also the way a, f- a good photographer takes your picture. I'm reminded briefly of Bill Cunningham who was a, essentially a street photographer. Mm-hmm. But he would say, do you mind? And then – and, and you go, no, no, go ahead. But there was a kind of decorum about it. Now, not at all.
0: Yeah. And when did you decide to get back on the horse acting-wise?
1: When I split with Bob at LAX. And And what's the
0: next project you take on as an actress?
1: (laughs) The Last Tycoon with Ilya Kazan. With De Niro. With Bob De Niro, yeah. yeah. But Jack was maybe going to do that film film. and then decided to. You weren't with Jack then, were you? No. No. Um, Actually, yes. Just. Just. (laughs) Where did you meet him? I met him at his house at his birthday party. I went with CeCe. She said, oh, there's a party at Jack Nichols. I mean, that's how loose things were those days. Sure, and all of his nicknames
0: for people. And what did he call you? Toots. Toots.
1: Toots, and then Zbig, which came from The Big. The Big. The Big Fabulous, because I used to say fabulous all the time. So it was The Big Fabulous, and then it became Zbig. What did he call the
0: car? The Mercedes was the what? Bing. The Bing.
1: Bing, Bing Cherry.
0: He doesn't still have that car, does he? No, a six hundred Mercedes. It was a
1: great car. I have
0: a six hundred Mercedes. Do you? The last year they made the old model, nineteen eighty nine. Oh, such
1: a beautiful car. What do you do you call your car a name?
0: Uh no, but I'm going to now. Mine. I'm gonna call it <laughs> yeah. call it mine. Mine.
1: <laughs> that was another nickname Jack had for me. Mine, mine. which became Minel when we were skiing. I'd be slaloming down the slope and he'd be up on a on a chairlift, and I'd hear, minor?
0: (laughs) Minor! Angelica Houston, another seminal figure of the 70s and 80s, is poet and punk rocker Patti Smith. Like Houston, Smith is a great artist who had to navigate a complex relationship with another great artist in Smith's case, photographer Robert Mapplethorpe, who died of complications from AIDS in 1989.
1: You know, I'm still connected with him. I still think about him every day. And I mean, of course, you know, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. We did all the things young people do, but as he felt freer as an artist and a human being, the next thing that happened is he blossomed and felt his sexual nature. We had to weather that. It was difficult and it took a few years because neither one of us wanted to part.
0: You can get a link to my full conversation with Patty Smith by texting smith to 70101. That's S-M-I-T-H to
1: 70101.
0: I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. When Angelica Houston's stepmother, Cece, brought her to Jack Nicholson's birthday party in 1973, she couldn't have imagined what she was setting in motion. Houston was smitten and spent the night.
1: He made me laugh, but he sent me home in a cab. I showed up the next day in my evening dress from the night before, and Cece said, what are you thinking? I had no idea how I should be treated, basically. I was... About 19 or 20. So you were still? I was still a, a baby, yeah. Your kid. Yeah. Without any idea how I should be treated or, you know, sense
0: of decorum. What the rules were.
1: No, none. And I remember desperately hoping he'd call me. And when he did, I said immediately, But if you take me out, you have to pick me up and you have to drive me home. And I remember this <laughs> long pause on the other end of the phone. But he did just that. Once he was kind of
0: once he signed on
1: yes once he signed on or he was pointed in the right direction he he could be very gallant um jack was a wonderful boyfriend too easily distracted um
0: Uh, do, do you find that getting married and settling down is just like there's no time for that you're too busy enjoying this life
1: well i can't say that i really enjoyed it all that much i spent um i spent a lot of time in tears, a lot of time crying when I was with Jack, uh, a lot of the time feeling slighted, a lot of the time um, feeling like he didn't get me enough or that I wasn't getting enough attention from him. His attention was very splintered. He he reminded me sometimes of um, a wonderful dog we used to have called Big Boy together, who's a he was half labrador half golden retriever big black dog wonderful dog but he'd get a look in his eye and that was it he was off and i always knew that i really wasn't the most important thing in jack's life i was Was it your
0: dad all over again
1: um yeah and and jack got a tremendous amount of attention and that was hard for me mm-hmm. you know because also i knew what it was to get my own kind of attention um, and when so that, it wait, turns wait. into a kind of competition. And so, when did, oh, so when
0: did that begin? Meaning, when did you start to say, when am I going to make me and my work the most important thing? When does that start?
1: It started pretty early on. And, and I think, oh, it was difficult because I didn't really have any background in acting. I, I'd study. been around these guys all my life, but I, I'd never studied. And I remember going to... A, a class, a, a good friend of Jack's called Harry Giddis, a wonderful guy, took me to a, a class at Eric Morris's studio, and I was just sort of appalled. Um, there was Linda Crystal on the floor begging for a dime. There was, a, you know, it was a whole kind of scene in there, and I remember coming out and being just indignant and outraged. And I knew nothing except that I had an instinct, so. Shortly thereafter, I was speaking to a friend of mine, and she said, I'd like to introduce you to someone that I think you might like. She's a teacher, um, and her name is Peggy Fury. And I walked into Peggy's studio, and I audited maybe for three classes before she said, all right, you know, let's see what you do in this exercise. And... God, I fell in love. I fell in love with acting. I fell in love with her. I fell in love with that class. And I was in that class for about three or four years just doing scenes. She turned on all the lights in me, you know. And around that time— What about
0: her? How, how did she succeed in doing that?
1: First of all, she really listened. And she really watched you. And she built up a complicity with me. So if someone was really bad— So it's
0: Bob Richardson all over again, but yeah. a different medium.
1: Yeah. And if someone was really bad in the class or was sort of hashing it up in a scene or something, she'd kind of sneak a look at me or like give me a wink or something. She made me feel like I knew what I was doing. And sometimes she'd she'd criticize me outright, but she never embarrassed me she She loved props. <laughs> Peggy would love it, like if you brought food into class because then she, you know you'd eat the food after the scene. There was something so motherly and so um warm about her. She reminded me of of the way I was with my mother, mm. and I think that was something that I really needed at the time. and then women helped you.: Yeah. Women have men, men, always been men, men didn't better friends to me than men, you. actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's true. Although they challenge you. Women, it's a gentler approach. Right. And I think men challenge you. It's it's not because they love you less. It's because they want you to prove yourself somehow, or, or at least the men in my life kind of were more attracted to what was independent in me.
0: Right. So the first film you do that— is a real movie that you, you know, get some attention for, is... Preachy's Honor.
1: (laughs) And you you were
0: with Jack then?
1: I was with Jack.
0: So when you're on the set of the film and it's Jack, it's your boyfriend and your dad. Yeah. And you're back on a set with your dad after the last go-round was was not a a party. No. And I always remember uh, uh, Jack said to me, I said, what was it like on the set of Chinatown where it's this uh, uh, iconic director... And you have a great movie star. And Polanski is about to become an iconic director. He's on his way to that. And I said, what was it like with the three of them together? And I'm, I'll do my bad imitation of your dad, too. Jack said that uh, – he said that uh, Houston called him Roman. I know. You called him Roman. <laughs> and, true. and And he said Polanski would hold forth with all this kind of direction. And, and Houston would turn to him and say, now, Roman, there are really only two directions, a little more or a little less. So and, and really, and I and I thought, what a what a world to be with these three like titans or whatever you want to call them on the set of the film.
1: Also, I remember on Chinatown, Jack going like, Roman wants me to wear this fucking bandage on my nose. He doesn't want to shoot my face. He wants this bandage on my face. Well, of course, it's the most iconic. Still, still yeah. in
0: in movies, practically. What was it like for you when you were doing Peetsy?
1: Um I felt like ooh when I when
0: I first of all the
1: part didn't come to me through either of them it came to me from John Foreman who'd put me in a movie called The Ice Pirates which was we used to call them B movies but um, it was it was a pretty pretty tragic movie um, in which I played um, Maida the the most powerful swordswoman in the universe, but I liked it a lot because I got to play more type. I, I wasn't playing a wilting flower. Right. And I liked that a lot, and I got to decapitate men and stuff. <laughs> so that was that worked for me pretty well in that movie. And and as I left the set one night, oh, and my love, my love interest was John Matuzak. I used to climb him like a tree. He was the football wonderful, player. Football player. The twos. Um, But anyway, as I was leaving the the set one night, John gave me a book, Preachy's Honor, and said, I'd like you to read this. Tell me what you think. So I read it overnight. I said to him the next day, that's wonderful. It's such a good book. And he said, "Um, so what do you think of Mayrose? And I said, wow, that's a great part. He said, yeah. What do you think about you playing Mayrose And uh, Jack to play Charlie Partana and your father to direct. And I went, oh, no, don't do that to me, John. God, that's terrible. Don't do that to me. It's a nightmare. A nightmare. And then he said, well, we have to go and recruit them. And I went, you can recruit them. I'm not going to recruit them.
0: I'm not lifting a finger.
1: (laughs) Nothing. Not a finger. And then cut to a couple of weeks later – John is on my doorstep to pick me up to go to Mexico to talk to my dad about doing Preetsey's Honor. And I said, I'm not going with you. He goes, yes, you are. I went, no, I'm not. He left alone, furious with me came back. He'd been to Mexico. Jack was already in Mexico visiting with dad. He'd somehow gotten Jack out there. They'd been watching the female gymnasts in the Olympics for the better part of the weekend. And Jack had misunderstood. He thought the movie was a straight movie. He hadn't read it as a comedy. But as soon as dad had explained to him that it was a comedy, he felt good about it. And that was it. He was on board.
0: When did they find out you were on board? <laughs> I'm not sure that they knew quite yet. They didn't. They might not have. How was your father different when he directed you in that film than when he directed you in the first? Did he treat you differently?
1: Well, yeah, because he saw that I knew I uh, happy. He I had more respect happy. for you. He saw that I was happy in my part. There's, there's nothing worse than a disgruntled actress, right. as
0: I'm sure you know. And then the film comes out and?
1: And... Good, yeah, time, good time for you. A very good time. Very good How did time. you feel?
0: I felt... Honestly, how did you feel?
1: Vindicated. You did. I did. I felt... Um, first of all, it was great playing the wrong girl um, because it was a movie about, or at least my movie, because it was m- the movie within the movie for me, was about being the wrong girl. And so I got to play all of my insecurities I got to demonstrate every single insecurity that I had in a in a, in a totally confident way. So it was fantastic for me.
0: Does um, do things change in terms of what you're going to do, who you're going to work with, the script, I mean the usual bullshit, the scripts that are sent to you, the directors that are ringing you up? It changes after that.
1: It changes. Nothing a lot.
0: changes your life like an Oscar.
1: Nothing changes Nothing. your and also you get offered a bunch of stuff that you're really wrong for. <laughs>
0: We want you to play Superwoman.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. We're going to do or, Superman yeah, and we are do Supergirl. We
1: want you to be the blonde part. Yeah. But I got to play another great part. I got to be um, Lily Dillon in The Grifters, a real blonde
0: part. How did Jack and your father react when you won?
1: I think they were a bit flabbergasted, actually. <laughs> I remember I didn't go backstage because I was in such a delirium. I ran back into the audience. and
0: You didn't go do the press lap backstage. No,
1: I ran off stage before anyone could steer me in the right direction. And I went back to my seat and Jack was crying and I thought, what's he crying about? And then I said, my dad was crying. Foreman was crying. He was probably crying because I forgot to thank him. But I I couldn't believe it. It was like... How come they're all undone?
0: Who's another director that you worked with who uh, you felt that really intense oh, connection with? the
1: wonderful Nick Rogue. Really? I loved working with Nick. He was so subversive and so fun and naughty and smart. I did a movie with him called The Witches, and it's ostensibly for children. It's actually a very sophisticated movie. It's about Hitler. Right. It's this strange group of women who come together in, in in a hotel in Cornwall, and they all turn into witches, and they turn little boys into mice. And it's it's really a very good movie, I have to say. It was certainly one of my best experiences.
0: I grew up and watched a lot of television for a very specific period of my life. I watched F Troop and Gilligan's Island and the Munsters and the Adams Family and Candid Camera. And I watched, and when as soon as the Aaron spelling, era, was launched. I never turned on. The last broadcast TV show I watched with any regularity, as I used to watch Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, was the last show I watched. So if you told me that someone was going to take the Adams Family and make it into a film that I thought was really, really funny, I'd say, you're out of your fucking mind. And yet it's it's two of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. How did that happen? Um, well, I'd have to say
1: Barry was was fabulous, but there was the genius Scott Rudin and... I think Scott – Scott is so passionate about the work. He's an amazing producer and he I, – he, I remember him being there day and night he, for, for every scene. For people who
0: don't know, Sonnenfeld was a great cinematographer before he directed, yeah, but yeah. directed films and needed a good producer probably.
1: Oh, Unbelievable and and i think occasionally they they fought but we never knew about it right. it they were Keep that off the set yeah they were absolutely unified and I'd get into a really bad mood because I had I had lifts on my eyes and lifts on my neck and corsets and nails and, you know, it was the most – It was like a
0: four-hour makeup job to me. It was
1: a four-hour makeup job and it took another two hours to prep me before I went on set and it was just brutal. You couldn't sit down in the dress. It was a nightmare. Um And every once in a while, you'd have to wait for Thing to work, you know. And it was like, come on. (laughs) Six hours later, you guys have to be kidding me. And they'd come and apologize in the sweetest way.
0: Yeah. I did Cat in the Hat with Mike Myers, and they said, now, remember that Mike comes in, and we get him in makeup, and once he's done in makeup, and we've we've pre-lit his sets, and we've rehearsed the scenes, and they go, and they said, we're so frantic about the time we have Mike available, because he's only going to work so many hours in his contract, then we've got to take all this shit off of him. They said, please don't be offended, but whatever scene you're in the middle of, <laughs> no, we have and catch, you're going to be in no, mid-sentence, and when we they walkie-talkie us, <laughs> uh-huh. that Mike is ready. We're going to just stop everything and leave you dead. We're going to leave you by the side of the road.
1: Well, that's what it was like, except Mike in this occasion was (laughs) a (laughs) thing, a hairy thing.
0: When I came to New York in uh, 79, I came to New York. And uh, somebody who I admired—I mean, to the ends of the earth—was Raoul. I loved Raoul.
1: Oh, what a prince! The oh. loveliest, sweetest, a kindest talented. man. Talented. Used to sing opera to the children between takes. I mean, he—he'd he'd do anything. He for was special, you as an wasn't actor. he? Oh, he was Who were some of the other
0: leading men that you really, really thought that this was really a great battery?
1: Um. <laughs> That's a difficult question. I have to go to Jack, you know? Yeah, of course. Uh, just because the, the great ones provide. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because you notice how great they're being. It's just that they're there for you. Jack did a thing in Preetzis where I come out of the, the wedding scene and my father's being a real asshole to me and and I'm crying and Jack offers me his handkerchief. Now – you know, an audience doesn't really know what that means at that time, but he gave me the opportunity to blow my nose really loud. You know, it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it is. It's somebody who who you can work off with, who you have that kind of repartee. I had it with Cusack and The Grifters. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it's it's. It's nice when you play when you play with someone that hits the ball back. Oh, with you.
1: absolutely! Pong. It's like so that. much fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Cusack, who is kind of an enigma to me, he falls into that category of these naturally talented men, young leading man, brilliant, brilliant actor while he was young. Yeah. you know, It's a great thing to be able to put the Rubik's Cube together while you still have the shine on you of, of youth and beauty. And he's a very, very talented guy who then all of a sudden, he doesn't look like he really wants to work very much. I don't know. Well, he doesn't. I, find, no, no, I'm not saying you would, but yeah. I think it's interesting to me how he did a, like a row of great films. And then it's kind of like he couldn't, it was almost like he couldn't find anything he liked. Yeah, the,
1: he burned out a bit. I mean he was amazing in that movie. I was completely mesmerized by him. I was mesmerized by Annette Bening too I have to say. When I went in um, to read Martin Scorsese and Stephen were producing the film as well as, as Stephen was directing it and it was my instinct that I should be a blonde. But I didn't put on a wig to go for the meeting. I thought that was a bit on the nose. So I just wore a very suggestive dress and, you know, went in. And within the first 10 minutes, Stephen said, what if if you were a blonde? And I thought, he gets it. He gets it. He gets me.
0: Cool. Did your dad, because of his great, great career, did he have films that he was really the most proud of? Like what did he feel was his best work?
1: Well— I think he had a special regard for Treasure of Sierra Madre because of his dad. Um, because oh. he he brought his dad to an Academy Award. And I think it's like the best performance in movies, frankly. If you haven't seen that movie in a while and you, oh. you re-look at that movie, it's magical, that performance. Like, And I think his direction to his father was... Speak fast. Honest men speak fast.
0: I'd sit there with my friends. Whenever we were huddled around in the wee hours, we sensed the party was over, and you knew that men were going to fall asleep, I'd turn to them and I'd say, what's three times $35,000? I bet you $105,000, you fall asleep before I do, I'd say. (laughs) Bogart around the fire. Fabulous. One of the greatest movies ever made. You directed one movie, correct? Three what was the first one you directed?
1: Um, it was called Bastard Out of Carolina. Right. What
0: was it that propelled you to want to get behind the camera and take on that job?
1: Um, well, I'd always wanted to direct. Um, and it so happened that the director fell out of the movie and I was offered it over a weekend, literally. And my agent knew that I, I was interested in in directing something. We didn't quite know what it would be and I read the script and I really liked it.
0: Did you enjoy the process? I loved it. You did?
1: Oh, I loved it. What about it? Um, The the first morning I went to my trailer and I'm my heart was beating and I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the knock on my door to call me to set. <laughs> I didn't even understand you're the star that the, the director is you you go go on to the set. set.
0: Right. Old habits. You'd
1: think that I'd have known a little better with John Huston as a father but that's how excited and out of my mind I was. Um, the part I love best was working with the kids. Uh, Jenna Malone was a brilliant little actress and fun. Are you going to direct
0: another movie you think?
1: I, I You know, if I found the right thing, um, in, in a way, you know, I'm lazy in that I want it to find me. <laughs> but things do, I think, when synergy works. That's right, that's right. That's, that's right. how it works.
0: Thanks for doing this.
1: Oh, God bless you. You oh, too. Thank you.
0: Actress, icon, Angelica Houston. She has written a captivating memoir in two parts, A Story Lately Told, and Watch Me. The first half covers her childhood and teenage years in Ireland and England, while the second half is a romp through her days on the modeling circuit and in Hollywood. Both are told with emotional depth and graceful humor, and I can't recommend them highly enough. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing is a production of WNYC Studios. What do entrepreneurs, engineers, and ballerinas have in common? All of these careers have been inspired by STEM and kickstarted by the Regeneron Science Talent Search. Here's the thing supported by the Regeneron Science Talent Search, which recognizes and empowers our nation's most promising young scientists. These high school students are researching ideas that could solve society's most urgent challenges and launching careers that will change the world alumni have gone on to win Nobel Prizes, found important science and technology companies, and even win an Academy Award. Learn more about this year's Regeneron Science Talent Search and hear alumni stories at RegeneronSTS.com.